Welcome back to the Power Sports Nutrition Podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today, it's my great pleasure to introduce to you Josh Pauls. Josh is a legend in para ice hockey, being a four-time Paralympic gold medalist. Yes, you heard it. He's been in the games four times and won a gold medal with the team every single time. I don't know if anyone will, will ever be able to replace that. Obviously, he's going for a fifth um, <laughs> coming up, but he's been on the national team for over 15 years now. So welcome to the podcast, Josh. Thanks for having me, Liz. I'm really excited to talk a little bit about nutrition, about our sport and kind of just about our journey. Cool. Well, why don't you start us off with your background and your impairment and how you got into playing para ice hockey? Yeah. So I'm originally from a town called Greenbrook, New Jersey. When I was born, I popped out of the womb and they said, oh, his legs are a little bow-legged. So they threw me in some casts. They took some x-rays. And then what they realized was I was missing my tibia bones, which are the bigger bone in your shin, along with mm -hmm. a couple, I mean, like a kneecap, a couple foot bones. So at 10 months old, my parents made the decision to uh, have my legs amputated above the knee. So I have mm -hmm. my femur and that's kind of where my legs end. I started, I grew up in New Jersey and I absolutely loved this, fell in love with the sport of hockey. I remember watching it on TV with my dad one time and I was like, Hey, what's that? And he kind mm -hmm. of started explaining it to me, explained the rules and how like icing isn't like cake icing, even though like <laughs> I much prefer cake icing, but, um, that's for me, like just one of those things. So I started playing goalie in, in my driveway. I just really wanted to play goalie. I don't know why I was crazy back as a kid, but you know, Hey, mm -hmm. we, we all have those mistakes, but, uh, I, I saw a game, a sled hockey team played an able body hockey team. They put them in sleds and I, I ascertained to this. I still maintain to this day, sled hockey players, are the best con, con artist you're ever going to meet. Cause what uh -huh. we do is we take, take people, we put them in sleds, we kick their butts because they've never been in a sled before and they don't know what they're doing. And then at the end of the day, <laughs> they give us money for our organization. So uh, I think it's a pretty good scheme to run. And mm. that's kind of how I saw that first saw it, but a team wasn't close enough. It was like an hour and a half away. My parents could make the commitment to drive. And then a couple of years later, somebody started a team a lot closer, about a half hour away in Woodbridge, New Jersey. And my mm -hmm. parents said, Hey, why don't you give it one more try? And I got in the ice and I don't know what it was, but I was absolutely instantly hooked. And I guess that's kind of where I got my start. I ended up making the national team at 15 and we can kind of get mm. into that a little bit later but uh yeah that's kind of my story and i'm sticking to it yeah well i it sounds to me like you're a bit of a joker as well and there's something else we'll talk about a bit later which i've heard about but right now give us a little bit of an idea of what is para ice hockey just if you had to explain it to someone who'd never seen it before You've kind of mentioned the sled. Can you kind of give us a description of what that sled looks like and how different it is to normal ice hockey? So the way I originally describe it to people, it's a combination. Sled hockey is a combination of ice hockey, cross-country skiing, and bumper cars, like intense bumper cars. Mm. So <laughs> we have a sled and we have a, kind of a blade assembly. So we have two skate blades underneath. That's held together with a metal piece. And then we have a, a metal frame that some people's legs sit on. I don't have that issue. So mine extends to the minimum length. And then we have like a, a seat that's kind of stuck on top of that that's molded to us on the, on the U.S. national team. 
team at least. We have people that design our buckets that mold it to us so that we have less energy loss when we're trying to turn. It's just a lot more comfortable. And then instead mm -hmm. of one stick, we have two shortened sticks. They're about, I'd say, a couple feet in length. That's kind of my big jab at uh, able body hockey players is they have such a reach. It must be so easy to just be able to stick your stick out and be able to reach seven feet away. But I think <laughs> the games are very similar, but they're also extremely different just because of, you know, those requirements. So I think uh, my, my coach, David Hoff, kind of talked on a previous episode about how sled hockey players can't skate backwards like able body mm -hmm. players can. So that kind of dictates how we have to angle and play defense and just a few other things. But the game is a lot more, I think, flowy than um, able body hockey because it's a lot easier on skates that you're standing up to stop and start where in sled and especially the type of player I am I really don't want to stop a lot just because it takes so much energy to to kind of get going again so you try to have those looping plays keep your momentum just to just to allow obviously you know keep to keep you going throughout the 45 minute game we play Sure. And you said before that you started off as a as a goalie but you're not a goalie anymore are you? I'm not, they wouldn't even let me get into a game as a goalie because they told me I was too fast when I first started, which, I mean, it's worked out really well, so I'm not arguing. <laughs> and, but you still have to wear a lot of gear, don't you? Like how much clothing and protective gear do you have on? Sure. So we basically more or less wear the same as traditional hockey players. So we have a helmet. We wear, we have a cage in front of it. A lot of people ask mm -hmm. me if I'm missing all my teeth. No, I have all of them because we wear a cage. I'm not crazy enough to go without that. Um, mm -hmm. And then we have like a set of shoulder pads, a set of elbow pads, we wear gloves, and then usually the one thing that we don't wear are hockey pants, like they're very padded pants to kind of keep your uh, up your thighs safe, where we have our, mm -hmm. when we sit in our sleds, that kind of gives that protection. And then some guys will wear shin guards, and uh, a lot of times for people with feet, they'll end up taking like the skate part off of a skate boot just so they have the protective hard covering of that skate boot to protect their foot while they're skating in the game. I don't have... I guess, you know, half of that. So I really just have my mm. top half. So I have the shoulder pads, elbow pads, gloves, and a sticks and helmet. Mm -hmm. And what about from a classification perspective? Are there different classes within the team or is everyone, you basically, everyone's classed at the same level because you have a certain classification that allows you to play sled hockey in the first place? Yeah, for sled hockey, we're I feel like we're pretty unique in parasports where it's just you're good to go or you're not. We basically have to be determined mm -hmm. if you're eligible to play. And if you're el eligible to play, then our coach, David Hoff, can put out any combination of players. He can put out any combination of disabilities. It doesn't really matter. You know, there are different body types depending whether guys, you know, have a leg, don't have a leg, have full function in that leg or core strength that, you know, so many variables go into it. But it comes really comes down to if you can be classified for the sport with a lower body impairment or not. And so really it's, it's a pretty unique sport that way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what a typical training week like might look like. And, and that may be tricky because I know you travel a fair bit to, to compete and you also travel to camp. So if you're at home, what would a typical training week look like for you compared to if you're at a camp? Yeah. So that, I mean, I'm glad you asked that because I was going to give you a rundown of each one because they are very different. Um, so mm. at home, I'm usually lifting four times a week. A lot of times that looks like Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Friday, Saturday for me. 
I do alternate pushes and pulls for the most part. I have a trainer that writes my programs and trains me. And then I'm getting on the ice anywhere from three to four times a week. And so mm-hmm. when I skate, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri right now. I have a couple, I have a local team and I have a couple players on our U.S. development team that I skate with. But like our, we have two basic hubs that we have a lot of national team players at in Nashville, Tennessee, and then Denver, Colorado. And those are where, you know, we have set six or seven guys in each state that can kind of train together and they can work, you know, work out, they can skate and they can compete against each other, which is where I mm. think the the big gains are, are made. So yeah. um, I'm skating anywhere from three to four times a week. I run our team practices in St. Louis and that's a two hour ice session. So that presents some unique challenges from like a nutrition and hydration standpoint, uh, especially mm. when I'm trying to both coach and get some reps in, mm. but yep. that's kind of my, my typical week of training. And, you know, in those lifts I'm doing, you know, we're doing weight training, we're doing strength training, we're doing plyometrics, we're doing core, I'm doing some stuff um, just to help me in my overall everyday life. Like I want to do some, I want to, you know, strengthen my hip flexors, my glutes to make sure I'm able to walk in my prosthetics well and, Mm -hmm. you know, further into my life. And then training camps are very different. Obviously the strength training goes down. We skate usually, we usually have a camp from a Wednesday to a Sunday. We'll come Mm -hmm. in Wednesday, we'll skate that night. And then we have two skates Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And then we all kind of leave and go our separate ways on Sunday. So there's Mm -hmm. really no strength training there. It's usually in two ice sessions, like I said, per day, anywhere from an hour to 90 minutes. But I Mm -hmm. think uh, Coach Hoff has been really good about kind of managing our workload, managing our rest, and making sure we don't go too long because you know, in club hockey, when I play for my St. Louis team, or I'm actually playing for Chicago now, just with our team situation. But a lot of times our national team players are playing all almost all 45 minutes of a game. And if not, uh, I used to joke about with some of my coaches, hey, I have three different shifts in club games. I have the first period, the second period, and the third period, and I get my intermission. I get my break during the intermission. Um, I actually have come to really enjoy the breaks and get some water and, you know, sometimes some quick carbs. So that's something that's, that's kind of changed in my mentality, but with the national team, you know, we're on the ice for hopefully a minute, sometimes a minute and a half to two, but usually Mm -hmm. no longer than that. So you can kind of get off the ice, rest, recover, and then get back out there. Yep. And so go back to what you just said then that in, you know, when you first started, you basically played the entire game and you had a little bit of time in between each term, do you call it? What's the, what's uh, it's not a period. Okay, there you go. I, I was going to say it's not a quarter because there's only three of them. Yep. So you had some time to kind of refuel a little bit. Did you did you know at that point in time, like when you were a 15 year old, did you know about refueling and the need for that, or was that something that was really not, you know, the nutrition side of things? Was that something that was not really discussed as much? Um, I mean, I. I'm not going to lie. I still, uh, I still do play most of the game sometimes. So that wasn't just mm-hmm. me at 15 and with our, our local teams, a lot of our national guys will play that entire game. Um, mm. but definitely nutrition was not anywhere near discussed enough or talked about. We didn't really have kind of the resource. We didn't know. So, you know, I'd go to the bench and go in between periods and, you know, get a quick sip of water with our national team games. It's a lot easier because we have like a 15 minute 
intermission while they they zamboni the ice they we have time to kind of rest where club games a lot of times we only have two to three minutes they put two to three minutes on the clock you're still on the ice you're gulping down some water real quick and then just hey rip time to go back out there so i mean i i approach club games a little bit different than i would national team games i look at them more as a, a cardio training mm-hmm. event i guess yeah and the bonus is I'm I'm getting to do hockey and chase a puck around because that's way more fun than just sitting on like a ski erg. But yeah. definitely I, I've grown and learned so much when it comes to, you know, nutrition and, you know, hydration. You know, I, I'm somebody I, I feel like I sweat just looking outside sometimes when it's hot out. Even when it's cold out, I feel like I'm sweating sometimes just looking out there. So, mm. you know, our nutritionist Jackie Scaramella has really helped me understand the importance of putting like electrolytes in drinks, you know, getting extra water and hydration anywhere I can, whether it's through like soups or ramen. Like I, I absolutely love cooking at home. So um, that's mm-hmm. something that, you know, I've been able to to kind of work into my daily routine. Yep. And so have you ever done like a, an assessment of how much you sweat during a game? Yes, we did have, uh, well, we had did it during practice and I, I will for sure always say that coach Hoff's practices are much tougher than games only because Mm -hmm. the, the competition of our team, but also just the way our guys battle. It's, it's just so intense and it's so much more intense because you're going for sometimes 30, 45, two minutes at a time in a practice where in a game, Mm -hmm. your workload's much less. Um, So Jackie did do some testing where we, we kind of figured out how much we sweat, how much we were replenishing. And that really just kind of gave us a good, gave me at least a good idea of like, Hey, I got to make sure I drink at least half this bottle per period when I'm in a national team game. And when I'm at a club Mm -hmm. game, I got to make sure I'm drinking two to three of these just to get by and make sure I don't cramp during the game. Because that is the one thing that I, I, I've had issues with in the past that I, I absolutely can't stand just because, you know, it takes me out of my game. It, stops me from being on the ice and performing the way I want. So mm-hmm. hydration has been such a key just to one, stave off the cramps, but also make sure I'm prepared to sometimes play four games in three days with, with a club team or just be ready for the next one in a, in a big game, like a world championship or Paralympics. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what big changes have you made to your nutrition at home to support your training? Um, I've started eating more protein and definitely working more protein into snacks, I think has been a, not a hard change, but something that, you know, I wasn't always consciously doing. So now, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times, you know, it was easy to just say, oh, have some fruit because everybody thinks fruit's healthy. Well, fruit is healthy, but it's sugars, it's carbs. There's not a whole lot of protein or fats going into it a lot of times. So it's making sure I have a balanced snack. So, you know, one of my go-tos right now that my trainer actually kind of told me is you put some cottage cheese, you put some frozen fruit on top, and then as it thaws in the fridge, you get the juices from the berries and it makes kind of a, almost a, you know, sweet snack, which is pretty nice. Mm. Um, just because I try not to eat so much, so many sweet things. As far as like the rest of my diet goes, it's just making sure that I'm timing my my eating and making sure that I'm fueling at the right time. So, you know, sometimes I won't immediately get up and eat breakfast right away. If I have, you know, a workout that's just a little bit later than, than I normally would work out. Well, maybe I'll wait a little bit. I'll have a cup of coffee, have some water in the morning, and then I'll, I'll start making my breakfast to kind of make sure that I'm timing and my food is, is in me and digested by the time I work out because, you know, I, my nutrition should help support my my athletic endeavors. It shouldn't hinder it. And I'm somebody that can't work out on any kind of full stomach. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what do you usually like to have for breakfast? Oh, man. Well, it all depends. Uh, I'm a big steel-cut <laughs> oak guy. 
overnight oats are another one. And that a lot of times I'll do on, I'll do more of like a sweet one. So if I'm feeling like having some fruit in the morning, some protein powder, like some milk, just kind of mix that together. Potatoes and eggs are, are big on the weekends for me and my wife. And then just mm-hmm. finding ways to, to throw some vegetables. And then whether it's making like turkey bacon, turkey sausage, regular bacon, and just kind of figuring that out from there. Really, mm-hmm. my, my big meals are, well, they're not big, but my, my favorite meals are dinner mostly just because that's the stuff I grew up, you know, cooking with my parents. Right. And so give us some examples of the types of things you like to have for dinner. Oh, man. Well, so I come from a big Italian family, so pasta is always a good one. Um, mm-hmm. one, of my, one of my favorite sauces is actually uh, just like a, an olive oil, garlic, and sometimes some pasta water. And then you mix that together, throw some Parmesan cheese on it and with some whole wheat noodles. I like to do, you know, all kinds of chicken, whether it's chicken breast, chicken thighs to get that protein and make sure that's set. And Mm -hmm. uh, actually one of the biggest changes I've made since meeting my wife is uh, I actually like Brussels sprouts now. You know, I guess I grew (laughs) up having them all boiled and just not tasting well. And then I realized you can roast them with a little bit of olive oil, some garlic powder, and they're just absolutely delicious. Mm. And so like roasted vegetables are probably one of my favorite things to to make, to eat. And I actually, Brody Roybal, one of my teammates, got us an air fryer for our wedding. And that has been just such a godsend for us when in the kitchen. Just cook stuff so fast, it can get it nice and crispy. But I know I'm not t- putting, you know, tons of oil, tons of extra stuff that I don't really need in my meal. Yeah, yeah. So have you had any specific nutrition challenges throughout your career that you've had to kind of overcome? Yes. I, uh, well, I mean, I used to be a big party animal, so I used to drink a lot and, mm-hmm. uh, I kind of just like, I don't know, Jackie made the hint one time. She was like, Oh, well, if you just quit drinking so much, like it's easier to lose weight. Like it just doesn't affect your body. And you know, one day I kind of just woke up and it was like, well, if I don't want to keep feeling like crap in the morning sometimes, or, uh, after like a long night out, or I just, I don't, I'm not losing the weight that I want to, and it's not meaning, it's not kind of aligning with my athletic goals. Well, then I need to cut out alcohol. And I, I've been able to do that. Um, I kind of use non-alcoholic beer to kind of wean me off of it. Cause I, I do still enjoy the taste of beer and alcohol every once in a while, but yep. cutting that out has been su- such like an easy thing to do. That's made such a big change that I was just like, why didn't I start this sooner? And so kind of go into that a little bit more. You said that, you know, you feel bit you don't wake up so so seedy and were you were you struggling sometimes in terms of your body weight in terms of keeping that under control? I think a little bit, especially over COVID when COVID first hit, you know, it was really easy to to kind of, you know, put in some work during the day, have a beer with dinner and then just kind of hang out or you know when you could finally go out again, sit outside on a nice patio and go out with friends um or even just mm. go to some of the many breweries that uh that St. Louis has to offer. And so mm. I, I don't know if I necessarily struggled with my weight, but I definitely, it wasn't as easy to lose as I was kind of hoping and as easy as it was, you know, once I stopped drinking. Mm. Okay. And, and so what are some of your big learnings that you've had? I mean, things, how, how much has the game changed over the last 15 years? And, and what are some of your big learnings over that time? Oh man, where do I start? Um, I think, I mean, when I first made the team, it was, it was probably the most skilled guys in, in hockey at the time. Like, but it wasn't necessarily, you know, the most in shape. It wasn't necessarily the guys that ate the best. Um, it was really just, if you could, if you were good enough to play and be on the national team, you could be on the national team. And now it's evolved to 
let me give you an example. Like when I first made the team, we had to submit what workouts we were doing just so that we could prove to the coaches and the team we were actually working out during the, during the time Mm -hmm. we were away. Now we're sitting here going, you, it's so abundantly clear if somebody's not working out that like, they're going to get cut before anybody really has anything to say to them because Mm. it's just that obvious with the, the level that, you know, everyone here has been able to, to achieve. And obviously, you know, our successes in the past have kind of helped grow the sport and really kind of put it on the map for a lot of people. But I mean, nutrition is just something that's so now talked about where now I think one of the biggest things for me, like uh, is going to go back to hydration. It's finding ways to, to get a little extra water, to put some electrolytes. Like I, I have a, an aha, so a sparkling water. And then I also have half a uh, bottle of water with a noon in it for mm-hmm. extra electrolytes. And yep. then I'm using some salt packets called LMNT in the, uh, in my water bottle during competition. And that's something that I think Jackie's really helped kind of help me understand is when to hydrate and when I need to, to up the electrolytes a little bit. So during intense training, adding more sodium, adding more magnesium, adding more electrolytes into my, my water is really going to pay dividends. And even adding some sugar and some Gatorade to help kind of replenish those glycogen storages, just because, you know, we're using our arms for, as our primary movement. And that's just Mm -hmm. not what arms are meant to do. So (laughs) she was real big in helping us understand, like, you know, the glycogen storages in your legs are much larger than your arms. So you got to replenish that more and more often. And mm-hmm. that, I think, just kind of, that, that just was one of those things that really clicked for me. Yeah, yeah. And so these days, do you find that you cramp very much at all? Like you said that that was something that you used to have issues with. Is that something that is now not something you have to think about much? It's not, but I definitely can tell when I cramp, I'm sitting there going, oh yeah, well, I didn't drink enough water during like a little bit before breakfast or during lunch or in between this game. Like I can pinpoint, you know, when I've been deficient in Mm -hmm. my hydration. And so like, that's just super helpful. Just knowing like, if I'm not, if I am cramping, I understand why it's not just, oh, I'm cramping. This sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, but I definitely don't cramp nearly as much. And I, I mean, I definitely used to cramp in national team games. I can't tell you the last time I cramped in a national team game, just because I'm at that level, I'm just so cognizant of, you know, the intake we have to have. Mm. Mm. Now I, I heard a little story about something related to Mr. Potato Head. Can you tell us what your relationship is with Mr. Potato Head? Yeah. So when I first made the team, we, we kind of brought it, we huddled up in a circle after a, a warm up. Uh, our trainer put his hand on my head and he was like, oh, it feels kind of like a potato. And then one of the older guys on our team uh, got me a, a Mr. Potato Head figure that as a gag gift and I decided to take the joke and run <laughs> with it. So I actually used to, to face the Mr. Potato Head towards the opponent's locker room, inside our locker room, so they had no idea. Like it wasn't actually doing anything. It was more for me than anything. <laughs> and uh, I... I still have this memory in 2018 of asking our team doctor where one of the team's locker rooms were. And I just remember seeing him running literally around the ring, trying to figure out the exact angle for me to turn my (laughs) Mr. Potato Head to face toward their (laughs) locker room. I mean, he was about as committed as I was. And then eventually, you know, after being in a hockey bag for so long, he kind of just took a tear. Like I ended up losing some arms, which I'm missing my legs. He was missing his arms. So it kind of worked out. But it was it was time to retire him because I knew there was a lot more mental preparation I could do without a missed potato head that would get me ready for a game. Mm-hmm. I'm dying to ask whether you used to change his hat or or anything like that, or did he always have the same outfit on? For the most part, I think he had the same one, but I I wasn't going out and buying the uh, the different outfits for him. If my teammates <laughs> were would have been a little nicer, I might have been able to change it. But I. Uh... 
<laughs> I, uh, I think I stuck, stuck to the original. Oh, cool. Okay, so Josh, can you give us a little bit of an idea of any recommendations that you'd have for potential uh, para ice hockey players, whether they're in the States or in other countries? Like how do you, how do you think it's a, you know, a good avenue for potential new athletes to get into the sport? Oh, I mean, it's just finding a local organization that, you know, one has sled hockey. And if not, it's, it, it might fall on you to create one. You know, a lot of our sled teams in the U.S. are partnered, you know, with other disabled sports. So, you know, in St. Louis, we have the Disabled Athlete Sport Association. Uh, they have sp- sports from like archery, swimming, sled hockey, bocce, uh, wheelchair basketball, wheelchair rugby. They have all kinds of different ones. So um, a lot of times those organizations are willing to to help. It's just uh, it's whether it's connecting with people that either know hockey or want to get involved. Like, you know, I had somebody start a team that helped, you know, me and another guy on our team, Jack Wallace, get, get our start. And now we're both on the national team all because somebody decided, Hey, I want to, I want to start the sport of of sled hockey in New Jersey. So it's sometimes the onus is going to be on you if, if you want to have the sport and there's nothing available, but in, at least in the U S there's plenty of club teams that you're able to join and they kind of start, whether it's youth, whether it's beginner level, like there's all types of levels. You don't have to jump in expecting to be a Paralympic athlete level athlete, just, just because of how difficult the sport is. Like I tell everybody, you just got to be willing to, to suck at it for about a month and then you're going to finally figure it out. Cause it, it is very difficult to pick up, but don't let that discourage you because it's just so much fun once you kind of get going. Right. And what about for practitioners? So for example, you know, sports nutritionists, sports psychologists, you've obviously worked with a number of different health practitioners and sports practitioners. You, you, you trainer in at home over a number of years and they've obviously had to learn about what they need to adapt for you. How, you know, how do you feel like if there's someone coming new into that space and they're starting to work with para-athletes, what recommendations do you have for them? I think you got to ask a lot of questions. So (laughs) my trainer, Jeff Lavecchio in St. Louis, like I knew his cousin before I even started training with him. And he he trains a lot of hockey players in St. Louis, but he never trained a sled hockey athlete. And Mm. I remember hearing the hesitancy in his voice on the phone a little bit, but he also was like, yeah, let me give it a try. If you're willing to work with me and just give me a little time to figure this out, like we can do this. And Mm -hmm. it was more like we, we walked into the gym and we were like, all right, no problems, only solutions. So it wasn't, Hey, how can you do this? It was, how can we get you to do this? So, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, an example, when I'm lifting, like I don't have leverage on my lower body because I have my prosthetics. I don't have anything, any kind of weight or any kind of muscles kind of pull me down. So, you know, as a kid, Mm -hmm. like I was trying to do sit-ups and I couldn't even do a sit-up and I'm like, man, what's wrong with me? I thought my abs were strong. All I've all to realize, I just needed somebody to like stand on my feet or put a little counter lever on me so that I could pull myself up like with more muscles than just the little bit in my upper abs. So mm. it's really just, it's figuring out what people can do instead of what they can't and then finding solutions and being creative in, in those different ways. Mm. Yep. Awesome. And so just what's coming up for you? What's, what's in the next couple of months or in the next 12 months for you? Well, the next 12 months, uh, right now I'm in Ontario, Canada. We have a three game series with our biggest rivals team, Canada. And that's mm-hmm. kind of heading into the excuse me world championship 
here in a couple months. So we'll play that. That'll be a, our qualification into the next world championship. And then that next world championship in two years is going to help us qualify for the Paralympics. Uh, as long as we finish in the top five, I believe. So uh, in the next year, it's going to be, it, it's actually going to be a lot. So uh, our tryouts are going to be in July. The world is going to be sometime before that. So uh, it might not be a ton of an off season, you know, between our last event this season and then our, our kind of beginning of next, but um, it's going to be finding ways to, to get an off season program in to get a little bit of rest. Uh, I'm a keynote speaker by trade as well. So uh, I've, I'm traveling up to Portland right after this to, to give a keynote. And, uh, and we're just going to continue to work on that during the summer. So, uh, we've got a lot of different, you know, hockey things going on, but also a whole lot of, uh, other stuff too. And have you ever, you know, you've been on the pro in the squad for 15 years now, have you ever taken a year out or anything like that to just kind of, you know, refresh, or is that something that you feel like you get enough rest, uh, throughout the quad, you know, the four years between games that you can keep your mojo and keep your motivation going? Yeah, I, to be honest, I think taking a year off would, would kind of hurt my motivation more than anything. I think it'd be just too easy to say, all right, uh, I'm the most decorated para hockey player in the world, so I, I'm good. So I want to keep going. And I, I've thought about taking time off, but you know, the more I, I talk with, uh, with, you know, people that know better than I do, it's, it's really about finding time to, to take those, that time off and to rest a little bit. So, you know, in the off season, I'm going to take 10 to 14 days completely off hockey. I'm not going to go to the gym. I'm going to go out. I might do a little like band work at home or do just some general strength stuff, but I'm, I'm going to go out and just enjoy life. I'm going to go take walks, go just, you know, just enjoy everything else that life has to offer. And then we can kind of get back into the grind and, you know, not having a, probably not having a world championship next year. That makes that season a little bit lighter. It doesn't mean the training gets lighter because you still want to have a good off season. You want to keep building during it. But I really think that I can look at next year more as a building season where, you know, I, we won't have as many events so we can get more train, more off ice training and more strength training where I can kind of grow and develop that where in season you can't get as much because you're really just training to, to be a good hockey player. So I think, you know, I'm able to, to find time to work rest in. And I think that's kind of been the benefit of, you know, only having world championships two out of three years. Yeah. And in terms of the game itself and like, you know, you, you play in the most dominant team in the world, I think in certainly in the power world, there's no one who's been that dominant over an extended period of time. And obviously the game has developed over that time. So how much, you know, how much more competitive is it now internationally and, and, and what are the things that you see are key for you, for Team USA continuing to stay ahead of the rest? I think, I think while the, maybe the scores and the games have kind of changed a little bit, I think the, the games a lot of times have gotten a little bit more lopsided as time has gone on, at least when, from when I first started. But, mm -hmm. you know, the target is still on our backs. Like, we've won four in a row. We've won... Uh, the last time we lost, lost a world championship was 2017. So every team in the world is gunning for our spot. Like they, they want to knock, knock us off the top of the podium. And mm -hmm. so I think, you know, looking at, at the dedication of our players away from the team, like we, we discussed, like we only have, we have a camp sometimes once a month from October to April. Like that's not a whole mm -hmm. lot. That's five days of training together 
one uh, every month during the season. So it's the work that guys put in at home is really going to make the biggest difference. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of where we you've seen us pull away from a lot of a lot of teams in the fact that we have the resources to be able to do that. I, I don't want to knock any other athletes because you know everybody. I think everybody's kind of in a different boat, but we get so much support from USA Hockey, from the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee, that it makes us able to achieve what we achieve. And so I, I really hope that you know other teams and other federations are able to give that similar or same support because it's made all the difference and that's been a big reason on why. Like our players for sure have had that dedication, but we've also mm-hmm. been allowed, we've been given permission to have that dedication by, by our federations. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Wow, Josh. I mean, there's, there's, you've got such a history. I think you, you're a real advocate for the game and a, a, certainly someone who leads by example. And, and I think you know, that's a testament to your passion and commitment to the game. Before we let you go, we have one more question, which is what's your favorite food? What is my favorite food? I have to say my favorite food are the, my homemade meatballs. They are, yeah. they, I have memories from, you know, making them with my grandma, with my mom, and obviously I've been able to adapt the recipe a little bit, but it's one of those, it's kind of the straight off the boat from Italy recipes that, mm. you know, I just absolutely love making. Mm-hmm. Does it have a secret ingredient? Um, No, but I actually used to use a combination of like ground beef and ground pork, but one of my teammates, mm-hmm. Jack Wallace, when we were in Nashville training before the Paralympics, brought some meatballs over that had some ground sausage in there. And so mm-hmm. I've been starting to make some meatballs with like ground turkey, ground sausage as the meat combination. And that has been just such a, a just a big flavor pop with, uh, with just li- very little effort. Uh, you've just brought a, an image to my mind. I can suggest if you ever get the opportunity of putting some ground kangaroo meat in there, I think you'll find that the flavor pop will be even better. Well, that sounds interesting. We actually had kangaroo when we were in... Uh, the Czech Republic in September. They said it was had it was really mean or something. in the Czech Republic. <laughs> I know. Th- th- see, I- I'm with you. I was I was shocked as anybody, but it was like stewed. They said it. They got it. They brought it specially in because it was like good for athletes or something. I don't know. I was just there, and it was it was really tasty actually. But that's oh, well, a great if idea. If I can ever get some, I'm gonna put it in the meatballs. Yeah. If you ever get out to Australia, I will introduce you to ground kangaroo meat, which you know the flavor pop. I think you'll really enjoy. I'm in. I'm going to have to get down there soon then. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to have an ice ho- a pair of ice hockey team for a while to come, but you never know. Uh, they still have one, I think. I believe they played at the Sea uh, Pro World Championships a couple of years ago. Oh. oh, they just need to get a little bit more support. Well, for sure. Josh, th- thank you for your time. I know you're in the midst of preparing for a, a big competition, so we'll let you keep going and get your recovery and your, your nutrition in. But really appreciate your time and, uh, yeah, all the best for the upcoming few years ahead of Milan Cortino. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on and giving me the opportunity to kind of share my story and talk a little bit about my journey, with, especially with nutrition. It seems like Josh is someone who's always looking for ways to improve himself as an athlete and continue to be one of the best in the world, including being willing to, some would consider sacrifice, other would be to make a choice around the use of things like alcohol and it the benefits that it, it provides to his athletic endeavours. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. 
if you have any feedback or would like to make some suggestions on topics you'd like to hear, please leave them on our website. And I hope you'll join us next time when we talk to Rob Vanderwerf, who is a sports nutritionist from the Netherlands who works with their paracycling team.